everyone. I'm Kari. Hello, everyone. I am Marie. And this is CSI Talk. day so far as we said last week we're going to be talking about our favorite csi serial killers why well because today is friday day 13th oh for us we're we're recording on friday day the 13th but if i mean but you're not listening on friday day 13th, the 13th obviously so but we just wanted to give you the we, no, we just wanted to now, unless this is a future month, well, you listen to this late and it's Friday the 13th, who knows? Yeah, so if you're listening to this on Friday the 13th, it's about to get spooky. <laughs> well, I really love Halloween. For me, there's only two important holidays in the whole year. Halloween and Christmas. After Christmas is over, I always start my countdown to Halloween even though my birthday is before Halloween. But before we get into today's episode, we just want to say that this is a safe space for you. But Halloween, is also, Halloween is also like Christmas to my family. So Halloween is really important for both of us. So you can expect a good episode from us on Halloween week. But before, we, uh, this is a safe space for you. Whenever, whatever I want to come in here after you had a long day or a stressful day and just want to relax after having the hell of a day, we're here for you. You know, if you just want to listen to two girls talking about their favorite science show. Well, so we're going to go into chronological order for us, okay? So we started off the first episode of season one of CSI crime scene investigation, that's it. We get into introduced to the first serial killer of the entire franchise. He is called what was his name? What what did they brand him or something? I, I can't remember if they did. I don't think they did, right? Well No, they never branded him because Grism did not like to believe brand the brand serial killers because he thought it gave them more power. Well, he is right. If you've seen, there's a Netflix show called The Ripper of Yorkshire. Your, oh my god, if you live there, and I just completely butchered the name of your city. Oh, I'm so sorry. But if you live there in the UK, there was a Ripper like in the late 80s, and they branded him. And then this guy started to think that he was Jack the Ripper or whatever. But it's true. Grissom didn't want to brand him and he was right. Although, he was kind of a hypocrite, wasn't him? Because the other serial killers got branded. Like a few serial killers in the show got branded. Hey, Pasco didn't get branded. Yeah. Neither did Natalie Davis, but... Uh... Well, she technically did. She did get a name from the media. 
but he would not have branded anybody. The blueprint was by media. Dick and Jane was by media. Was by by other people in the police force. Kid Culver was by, of course, the Seattle police. Of course, Seattle. Well, it's not good to bring serial killers because they're gonna think they're too cocky and they're going to enjoy that because they're gonna think they're not. So we get introduced in the very first episode of CSI to Paul Melander. He would kill the victims in his on his father's birthday. Yeah, he yeah he killed them in a tub, and they shared a birthday. And when he figured out that he was trans, because Paul Melanda was was originally Paul Lee. Yeah, I think this is I know. And this is problematic, but I know where and oh, where the writers, I don't know if it was Because we didn't find that out until season two. Yeah. But I mean, if you're going to do a storyline with a serial killer, you have to have things well planned. So I don't know if they knew that from the get-go. But it's kind of problematic, and it's, it's something that comes from... Damn, what's the name? What's the name? I forgot the name of the movie. That guy that killed people and killed women and dressed up like them. Can't remember, but I mean, it it comes from from all the way back in the past, but also come from this movie. That you probably know the name, and I don't. I can't remember the name right now. But it's really it's really problematic. Because uh, a serial killer can be from any gender at all. It, it literally has no difference. And although most of them are men, but making a serial killer a transgender just adds to a whole, just adds stigma to something that should not have been stigmatized. It, it's something that should not have, should not be problematic. And it's just so, it's really, I, I don't think it was a good move. I understand what they were trying to do. But then again, this show is from the early 2000s. So I think there are some things that we can point out that we are entitled to point out right now. Because I know we have an advantage point in history to say that. And, but... We do have to point out these things because it adds to the stigma and we cannot let that be internalized and internalized, okay? So I understand where they're coming from, although this can happen. I mean, it's, it's a possibility, but it just becomes problematic. I don't think they thought they were, it was going to be so problematic in the future to introduce a serial killer that just happens to be transgender in the very first episode of this brand new show that they had no idea that it was going to become as big as it did. And as big as it, as it is today. But it is a bit problematic. Pomalander would cut we would kill those people. And... Yep, he likes Halloween too, just like we do. Probably even more. And and I love the fact that in some of in in one episode they found Brissom's finger 
fingerprints in a scene. And they're just like, oh, it could not have been Grissom because he he's only he's only at work. So no, it cannot have been Grissom. And they find out that Paul Melander was the one who was doing this because he knew how to make props. And in fact, one of, the, one of his fingerprints were introduced and he got away with it because he was selling a prop that he made from his hands. So that would explain why his fingerprints was all over the place. So Grissom thought, well, somebody was just trying to get them off, off their trail. And then Grissom finds out that Paul Melander is actually a, a judge. Judge Mason. Judge Mason, and he thinks it's a doppelganger. And if you've seen, if you've seen the Vampire Diaries, you're familiar with this, you know, Catherine, Elena, and I mean, it's a doppelganger, someone that really looks like you. Oh, I feel familiar with How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Is someone that really looks like you in the case of the Empire Diaries, it was something that happened. The Pongangari was a supernatural creature, but some some religions, cultures still believes that the Pongangari is a supernatural being, but I don't know. And in How I Met Your Mother, that's what prompted Marsha and Lily to try start trying for the first child. So the Judge Mason invites Grissom to have dinner at his place and his son which we which would come back later in the season later in the future takes a picture of Grissom and that's how Pamela Ender ended up with an ID that said that no, it, no he got his ID from when when Grissom was arrested for standing up on his court yeah, so clearly I have not been watching season one of CSI for a very long time. I haven't seen um, my CSI lately, but I have seen a lot of episodes repeatedly. And actually, CSI is on right now on ASM. So, but he doesn't use the ID card for a lot of things. I mean, it's just to tamps Grissom. And when Grissom actually finds out what, what's going on, they go to Paul Melander's house. Ma they go to his mother's house and they that's when they find out that Paul Melander is with Pauline and they, it was they he did a sex change surgery they couldn't they couldn't have children so he and his wife adopted a kid and then when he goes look someone he goes without backup all by himself to say it's a serial killer, I just, I can't. That's when I, st I mean, I started to call him dumbass from the get-go, but so he gets to the house and he finds out that Pomelander's mom was dead and he was also dead. Also, he, before that happened, um, he, Pomelander had left a body with a message to Grissom. That's when they, we find out when Grissom's birthday so they didn't catch Pomelander. He Pomelander killed himself before they he could go to trial. And then who's now? Who's next? Um, that'll be the blue paint killer. The blue the one paint that killer. Catherine 
first execution Catherine watched. Yep, first execution Catherine's watched. I mean, I have so many things to say about that. But, well, the Blue Pain Killer, it's, I think it's one of the most iconic episodes in CSI, in the CSI, in CSI history, because that was just well thought, that was well planned, like, how the writers built that storyline. Yeah. But the Blue <laughs> Killer is a, is a well thought character, and... There was that, a copycat. There was a copycat, yeah. Okay, so when serial killers do act out, and then they... Like, they either go arrest, get arrested, or they become dormant. Some copycats do tend to show up. That that's a fact. It it happens. Like Jack the Ripper ha has maybe a lot of copycats all around. So the blue paint killer was someone who would his victims of preference blue. Were, no, not blue. They were uh, white women on college years, and they had to be blonde. Yep, and until he accidentally got that one dude. Yeah, he was called the blue paint killer because he would put like a construction paint and paint it blue, and whoever just happened to touch that would be his next victim. I mean, they had to fit his victimology, but he accidentally killed a guy who had blown... I mean, he used to hunt during the night, and I think his glasses were broken. By one it was a light. It was a light that wasn't working. Yeah, and so he thought he was getting a girl, but it was actually a guy, and they thought they were, he was changing his victimology, but it was a mistake. Serial killers do tend to commit mistakes when they're about to get catched. And then the team finds out that they actually arrested the copycat. The original blue paint killer, he was still at large. So when this guy was supposed to be executed, a crime was committed that fitted his fitted the way that he used to kill people. And it takes a while for them to find out that who was the copycat and who was the original. They managed to catch him, and he ended up being an artist. He would paint his victims, and he would look at his victims through through the mirror at his at his van. And they ended up finding out who this guy was. And they think there is a one last victim because he wrote a name. And they think there was one last victim to be found. And Sarah is the one that find out that there wasn't uh, one last victim. It was, this was an anagram for Miss October, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah. by the time that they figured it out, the bullpen killer killed himself. In the inside the restroom inside the PD, the same way that this guy on the this James Dornan, James Dornan TV show, I can't remember the name. This the sinner. I don't know. I've I've seen this this show with James with Jimmy Dornan. He plays a psychopath in that in that show. Pretty amazing to be honest. And. Who do we have next? I'm pretty, I actually think that is 
Your favorite. Oh, my favorite. My top tier. Yep. My top tier, Natalie Davis, a.k.a. the miniature killer. We get introduced to the... I mean, I... Season 7 is my favorite season. Have I said this this week? I think I've said this like almost every episode so far. <laughs> uh, season 7 of CSI is a masterpiece and I don't think that they can do anything like that ever again. I mean, I don't know, Jason Tracy, can you hear me? Uh-huh, this is a, this is a challenge. Give me, give me something season level, season 7, season 7 level. Give me something like that. So, we got introduced to Natalie Davis on the very first episode of season seven, when this rock source, this rock source, got killed, and then Grayson and Sarah are on the crime scene. I think you now maybe it was a bit foreshadowing because Grayson and Sarah would be the ones that would be a lot more affected by Natalie Davis by the end of the season, and I'm surprised you forgot to mention a few things about. Something about the first scene. So, well, when Chris and Sarah are going through the miniature inside the lab, Eggway comes up and saying, the media wants to know what's going on. And Eggway wanted to give the, the miniature killer, who did not know at that time, how big it was going to be in the attention. Eggway turns to Sarah and says, this is your case too, what do you think? What do you think? She says, I agree with Grissom. And Eggway says, of course you do. And they look at each other and just shake their heads and no because they were in the secret relationship at this point in time. Well, they were right about not wanting to come forward to the public about it. Because they would bring a lot of panic to the public. First of all, they would bring a lot of panic to the public. And you cannot bring a lot of panic to the public like this. And second of all, they were still understanding how the miniature, kill, the miniature killer killed and how she chose her victims. And if you if you're watching if you watch Criminal Minds, you know that the first step to try and find out who did the crime, who committed the crime, is to go through victimology. And at that point, nothing in the victims' lives overlapped. The victims appear to be completely random. They could not find a link through the victims. I mean, I <laughs> criticize that because. In the end, we ended up finding out that Natalie Davis did have a connection. Albeit, sometimes far away, she did end up having a connection to everyone, to every victim. She was the cleaning lady at some point for the first victim. You know, she worked as a cleaning lady for almost all the victims. And she had photographic memory. I mean, which is great if you need to memorize something for school, but it's not great if you're using your gifts for something so acts up like that. It's not so grateful if you're a cleaner. Yeah. And... Rusum tried to get into the mind of Natalie Davis, and I think that's when his relationship... That was, was, that was a lot later yeah but i mean he she he tried to get into this into the mind of natalie davis and i think that's when his relationship with sarah started to it started to it didn't deteriorate 
it didn't deteriorate until after Sarah left. Yeah, but I mean, I understand. Like he took a sabbatical, so before he takes a sabbatical, a huge box is left on his desk, and his desk untouched for all the duration of his sabbatical. He comes back. He didn't check his mail because there's a lot of things to, and he only thought to check his mail, like the box, after a few days. And when he did, he realized it was another miniature, and they didn't know if the crime had happened. So he's like, we need to know if this crime had happened already. And they couldn't find it because apparently the miniature killer would left the miniature, the crime scenes. But this one was left in Grissom's desk. So this one was meant for him. The serial killer apparently broke their own rules. And that was for a reason because he, she wanted to get to Grissom. We never see who puts the box in, on his desk. And they find out that the crime hasn't happened yet. So they go on searching where's the where's the the building and then they're finding out. So they s try to save the victim. In the end, they couldn't save the victim. And it, yeah, it was this psychiatrist and they ended up losing one of their, I mean, we did do a in-depth analysis of season seven. We have an episode like, before the first episode of CSI Vegas, like is the episode before our breakdown, the first episode of CSI Vegas. They lost one of their own and then they lost the victim because her brother ended up killing her. And then they put together how that crime occurred. It just, I think it just happens. I mean, it just happened. It, this, that bomb wasn't set to set off. It could have set up any time, but it did when Grissom came back. And then it's just, it's a bit painful to watch how Grissom is slowly losing. He's, just, he's slowly losing it throughout this whole thing. The last miniature that they get is the one that has Sarah. You skipped. I know I skipped her miniature. And you skipped. What's his name? The guy at the chicken, chicken factory. Yeah. Well, they couldn't find the link through all the miniatures. And one day in the episode Lab Rats, Hodges ended up finding out the link between all of the miniatures. All of the miniatures had bleach. And bleach was what sad Natalie Davis off. It happens, it, it happens, it happened in history. Some people are just triggered by sound or, or lights or food, I mean, or, or a sense, you know, it, some people are just set off like how, I mean, for example, my migrants can be triggered by uh, sunlight or a very strong light that suddenly comes, like my brain can't get you. But coming back to Natalie Davis, so Hodges finds out about the bleach connection and Grissom is like, yeah, that can happen. You're right. So they're slowly building 
this profiler to know who Natalie Davis was, the person who left off one of the miniatures, and ended up being uh, Natalie Davis. Was the name stepfather? Not my stepfather. Adoption father. Henry Dell. Yeah. Yeah, he he adopts, as it turns out, he used to adopt a lot of kids. Foster. And Natalie. His wife was, wanted to foster this, those kids. He yeah. did. And they ended up finding this home movie, and there's a lot of kids, and they wanted to identify the kids. So the court wouldn't let it because it was a it was sealed. Any mini money mo catch a monster by its toe. Yeah. And they couldn't find out who was it. So they were going kid by kid. Just a lot of work to find out exactly which one of the kids would have kind of inherited and gifts into making miniatures. Because Andrew Dells ended up killing himself in front of the camera, in front of Grissom, essentially. And that's what sent him to his sabbatical. Yep. And then the last miniature was delivered to Grissom, and then... Nope, the last miniature was actually inside the hotel room that one of the foster brothers was killed. We got the little miniature doll. That they were able to get a fingerprint Yeah, out. no, but Sarah's miniature. But that doll still counts. Yeah, so, I mean, is it a miniature doll? I mean, it's just a doll. They, but he, it was inside the bathroom with him. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't well thought. I mean, that's when the audience finds out, that's when the audience realizes that they are close to catch Natalie Davis. And they ended up finding her. They ended up IDing her, and there was like this chase in the streets. Like Nick and Warwick are looking for her, and ended up finding her. But the thing is, she got into a psychotic state, so there wasn't much you could say. And they find a miniature, a Sarah's miniature. When they go into Natalie Davis' house, and she completed the miniature, which means that Sarah was somewhat out there. Like I've, I, I've studied a serial killer case. I've studied serial killing behavior and all that. And I do have to say, they and Natalie, because like female serial killers don't happen a lot, and they do. Although most of the female serial killers tend to stick to uh, substance in order to kill people, some of them will get more violent, like it was in Natalie Davis' case. And I do have to say, it was a great adapt adaptation, maybe? It was a great adaptation, and I mean... Everything they put out about serial killing or killers and all that, some of it is actually true. And we have we have this scene of Nanova Davis hallucinating and we think for a moment that Grissom is dead, but he's not. 
Well, we don't, we'll never think he's dead. We just think he gets stabbed in the throat. We never saw him die, quote, quote unquote, die. Oh, but I was freaking out. I saw my man was gonna die out there. <laughs> I guess <laughs> since I started, I watched it kind of in reverse. I knew that he was gonna live. Sarah was gonna live. I didn't think that. I didn't think either one of them were going to die, but it certainly did scare me. And they ended up finding Sarah, and Natalie is, is prosecuted, and maybe she was put on suicide watch because when she was arrested, she was in a psychotic break. So they had to evaluate her mental health. That's why she got sent to. A psych ward. Who do we have now? We have. So, a few episodes later, we meet a copycat of a serial killer called the Dick and Jane Killer. Yeah. The Dick and Jane Killer got his name from killing, well, killing people who were in relationship, male and female. That was Grissom's last case where he went to go see Langston with his students talking to Nate Haskell. We'll talk about Nate Haskell in a few minutes. But it turned out that Dick and Jane Killam's copycat was a student at school. And they go back to concerts of, I think it was an Evanescence concert. Love that band, especially the song Bring Me to Life. Honestly, uh, I was better no, stuff. Was it Paramore? Paramore, never mind. It was Paramore and, yeah, according, and yeah, Paramore. Paramore is also really good, the same kind of genre of music. Same music that I grew up because my older sister. <laughs> but yeah, Vanessa is, is featured like one of their songs features in this episode, I think. Might be. That's an that's an easy check. And they find and they find who the killer because they, there's a picture from a cabin with the position of the moon. And yeah. Grissom Grissom and, and Nick find find that out. Yes. And as I already said, this is his last Grissom's last case. He brings in Langston, who's all throughout Langston time. Well, except for those actually those one killer in between Dick and Jane and Nate Haskell. That was uh Dr. Oh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, that's right. And I read that book actually. I should have. Neither have I. But Dr. Jekyll was through season 10, so I was in and out of it. That was one of the first times we ever saw Langston be reprimanded. But and as honestly, he should have lost his job in season 10. Yeah, he should have. There's a lot of things that I would like to say about the whole thing because I think he, I mean, I don't know if I'm saying this because if he was a woman, he would have been kicked out of the storyline so quickly. I don't know, just. And then, then we find out that the, that Dr. Jekyll was actually walked in a restaurant and was slowly killing his father. And actually, Nate Haskell ended up running into him. He knew, he knew him already. And they brought in Haskell to find out who Dr. Jekyll was. And while Dr. Jekyll was there, he actually ended up being able to 
break his glasses and stab Ray with his glasses. Yeah, that's when the next episode... Well, Haskell is the storyline of season 11. Look, Nate Haskell, I think, is right there with Natalie Davis. It's so weird for me to see that actor be a good guy. He's a great guy in Monora SVU. He plays a psychiatrist in SVU. He's actually not a therapist, but he's been Livia's therapist for approaching 10 years. Wow. That long? Wow. But that's beside the point. And Nate Haskell goes on a spree killing a bunch of people, kidnapping Ray's ex-wife and her husband, kills the husband, kills, oh. Haskell kills his father, and then tries to kill Gloria, who is Ray's ex-wife, but Ray ends up killing Haskell, Ray Brass covers Ray, puts some new cuffs in there. Sarah is being the only level-headed CSI in this episode. Look, look, okay. That episode, like, Nate Haskell's final episode, when there's this confrontation with Ray. In the dark, dark house. It's one of the most graphic CSI episodes. I mean, I think it's... Right there with the likes of MCIs and blood. Squiggle. Squiggle and blood. What is his name? Drop. Blood drops. I keep thinking bloodlines because of uh, Lawrence and the Machine song. Well, there was also an episode called Bloodlines. There was an episode yeah, called Bloodlines. I'm not talking about bad bloodlines. I'm talking about blood drops. I know. But... That, episode, that episode is one of the most graphic CSI episodes I've ever seen. Because most of the times when we watch a CSI episode, we don't expect the, we don't expect this level of graphic of, of violence. We would expect that's from criminal minds, maybe law and order, but never from CSI, I mean. And because when we watch a CSI episode, the victim is already dead and we never know what the victim went through. We're seeing, we see exactly what Gloria goes through. I mean, if you've never seen this episode, and I think you, you probably should. Even well, if, you have to watch the whole season, basically. I mean, I don't, okay, if you don't want to watch the whole season, I'm just going to give you a brief, we're just going to give you a brief uh, review. Nate Haskell, the serial killer, probably uh, Ray, Lang Angst Ray Langston, Narch Emesis, and this whole thing. He goes in and out, like, he's, I think, he he wasn't supposed to be the main character, but I think he kind of stole the show, maybe because of the acting. Maybe I like the acting better than I did from Lawrence Fishburne. I think the actor that portrayed Nate Haskell did a wonderful job, and but... That episode is one that you should probably watch. I mean, the history of Nate Haskell is something that textbook serial killer, you know, gets abused by the parents, falls at his head, kills animals just for fun, and then when he does his first kill, he wants to get a more taste of it, and that's how, you know, he tries to figure out how he kills and all that. He ends up finding out how, and then, and then gets caught. But then go, but then 
he, he escapes from prison, goes on a killing spree, you know, change his appearance, like, he does plastic surgery, I mean, he doesn't pay, he threatens to kill the surgeon, and the surgeon does, uh, does change his appearance a bit, and, I mean, it's enough for you to know that it wasn't Nate Hatsko, but he, it looks like him. One great example of this, they used this on the movie with Angelina Jolie called Salt. I mean, she never really went through plastic surgery, but she does change a few features of her face, so you wouldn't know it was her. And in this episode, Ray ended up finding out where Nate Hatchcoe is, and he knows that Gloria is there, so he comes there without backup and ha and tries to free Gloria. But then he and Ray talk, and then they fight. And it's, it's one thing that Billy had her told, told Ray. It, 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 Nate Haskell was never going to come back to prison. It was literally killed or being killed. Mm -hmm. So, Ray ended up killing Nate Haskell. Brass covers for him. Sarah is the one that is on the fence. She's like, huh, something is suspicious. Like, that's suspicious, that's weird. But, she ended up giving her finance into the... IA and then but Ray essentially cannot be a suicide anymore because of what happened. Because he can't keep his emotions in check. Yeah. That's I mean that's one thing I think Grissom should have told Ray before Ray took his job this job. You would have to deal with a lot of death. You have to deal with the worst of humanity. And nobody told Ray there, so... I guess he thought he was prepared because he was a, a coroner before, before that, but he wasn't really prepared for that. No, he wasn't a coroner, he was a surgeon. Yeah, but he would... I, I said coroner because... When I think of Ray, I just think of the I just think of the autopsy scenes with Doc. He, yeah, because he, he and the Doc had some more training, but because the morgue scenes are some of my favorites in TSI, that's why. So yeah, that's how Nate Haskell dies. <laughs> and after Nate Haskell, we don't have a serial killer until the final season. Well, we see DB's arch nemesis come back. The gig hover killer. Played by the actor who played Zach Morrison, say by the bell. <laughs> totally okay. different. When I looked at him, I was like, I know that guy from somewhere. See, I watched by say by the bell as a kid, especially with my first neighbor Kelly. Shout out Kelly if you're listening to this because I know you said you'd like to listen to this. But he was a close from Gig Hobble, Washington State. It's a, in Washington State, not Washington, D.C. Sorry, that's just my own thing because that's I'm from that state. No, 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 and I get it. I get it. It's just like people me, me always, people, even in the U.S., still always think about Washington, the state. And they only have to think about Washington, the state. They really only think about Seattle. Our capital is Olympia. 
not Seattle. Gig Harbor is far from Seattle. Nothing is so close. Not many cities are so close to Seattle. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, honestly, when you say Seattle, all that comes to my mind is Grey's Anatomy, to be honest. Fuck. So we knew from Russell's first episode that he is from Seattle, same as Finn. We find we also find out that the Gig Harbor killer kidnapped Russell's daughter. When back in Seattle. Again, it's more than Seattle and Gig Harbor. But they didn't want to say Green River because we actually had a Green River killer by the name of Gary Ridgway, who was very, very well around in the eighties. But let's not get into that real life serial killer. Well, so, um, they do. Anthony Zyker does face some some cases in CSI in real life cases. But Tina's Gig Harbor killer did not have a secret twin. But the Green oh, Green River did not have a secret twin like the Gig Harbor killer did. And the this actor played this played both characters. And near the end, he had an affinity for twins. Because he was a twin and one of his twins got adopted. His twin got adopted. Why? Well, no, he's... It's confusing because they are constantly switching things around. But one twin got adopted while the other stayed in foster care. Yeah, one twin had a good life and the other had a shitter life, basically. Exactly. And, and one twin took the fall, but they, at the end, they both were dead. As adult now. <laughs> Sorry, I love saying that. The father, we 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 meet the father. Well, one of them cares. Their own father. Like I actually really like this this storyline. To be honest, I really like it. I know I know they had to rush things because it was the it was season fifteen and all that. But and it's the shortest season. Yeah, but I think it was a it was a good thing. It was a good it was a good season. Well, and the last killer. <laughs> and like I said, they both end up being dead because Russell set up a trap. He used his own daughter for a trap. I think that's what helped end his marriage with Barbara. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because I mean, I've been pissed too. Because in Seaside Cyber. Him and Barbara are divorced. You know, I would have been pissed too. I mean, if my own daughter had to be used as bait for a serial killer, I'd be pissed as fuck. And also, Finn. Finn was also tortured by ah, don't the Harper killer. We're going to talk about Finn in a future episode, and my part is literally going to be named Reasons Why uh, Jules Finley Shouldn't Have Died. Because why did they kill her off? And in the special features, Elizabeth Shue talked about how how painful it was to get CPR performed on her. Because when you perform CPR correctly, you have a chance of breaking ribs. Yeah. The end. Good Cobra Kid was dead. He killed a bunch of people, mostly in se- between Seattle, Idaho, and Vegas, and California. I think CSI gave us great serial killers, to be honest. They did. And. And next season, we're going to be doing with another serial killer. Oh, that's I was missing a good storyline of a serial killer. 
and it can be if it's done correctly it can be so freaking good so mm -hmm. i know i said i was going to decode that and i'm still planning on decoding that but i need a, a cipher key so i just need like just give me one letter and i'm just you're gonna probably not you're probably not gonna get the cipher until when the last until yeah, like I know, but I mean, give me two letters and i'll crack that Give me two and I'll crack that. I know I'm gonna go over that scene so many times to try and crack it. Now it feels like I mean, and we I don't know yet, but it feels like there's like a Riddler vibe or, or something. Riddler from Batman. There's a there's a Riddler vibe or I don't know. Just, just wait to get farther into criminal minds. There's another vibe. Okay. Okay, I got it. I'm still season eight, right? That's but why I said that. Thank you so much for listening to us. Brie, what are we talking about next week? Bartin and Catherine. Bartin and Catherine. <sighs> There's a lot of things I have to say about this. So thank you so much for listening to us. We love you guys so, so much. Thank you so much for listening to us. We love you. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye.